Hello and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 96, How Good is a Good Enough Doctor? This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where medical students, junior doctors and expert guests come together and discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, but you might not get taught in medical school. I'm Charlotte and I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, looking after all the content that BMJ student will be producing this year. I'll be going back to medical school at the University of Oxford to do my final year in July. Um, so today we're joined by two of our panellists. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, hello. Um, my name is Judy. I'm a fourth year medical student at the University of Silesia in the south of Poland. Hey, I'm Anisha. I'm currently an F2 in Brighton and I graduated from King's College London. Amazing. It's lovely to see you both today. Um, and I'd also like to welcome our expert guest, Abby. Hi, my name's Abby Rimmer. I am careers editor at the BMJ, which means that I work on a lot of content about doctors working lives. Um, and I was also recently treated as a patient for stage three rectal cancer. Thanks so much for joining us today, Abby. It's really nice to have you with us. When we think about being a good enough medical student, our thoughts might go straight to exams. We might think, have we passed them all? What about merits? What about distinctions? And it's easy to prioritise exam scores above everything else because it's one of the only times we get clear, concrete feedback or a number that tells us how good we are. But can exam results really capture everything or is something kind of missing here when we talk about being a good enough medical student or doctor? Can written papers or even practical exams like OSCEs ever really sum up whether we'll be good doctors? And despite all this pressure to excel, do we really need doctors to be the best or do we need them to be good enough? So yeah, these are some things we're going to be talking about today. And I thought it might be helpful to start by talking about an article um, by one of the BMJ columnists, uh, Helen, who's also a GP. And she kind of wrote about what it's like, that kind of feeling of, you know, how do you know you're a good enough doctor? And the opening lines say that when students start medical school or junior doctors start specialist training, they don't aim to be a good enough doctor. They want to be the best. And she goes on to talking about all the things that you kind of feel under pressure to have or be as a junior doctor or a medical student so you know being empathetic being a brilliant teacher a world-changing researcher but also managing to do hobbies and sport and everything else and yeah just to kind of start Anisha Judy do you feel like that kind of speaks to your experiences of starting medical school yeah um, I think definitely um, it speaks to my experience and even just before starting medical school like with the application process like you kind of have to convince universities that you should be on the course and to do that you have to sort of bring up all of these amazing things and all of your achievements um, and sort of be quite exceptional to get in um, and then when, when you do get in there's almost a pressure to kind of keep that up be very like be sort of like top of the class keep all of your um social activities going and just sort of keep hitting all of those boxes that of course you might have had more time to um sort of do when you were uh doing your a levels or doing your leaving cert um so i feel like just sort of the the beginning of medical school just sets us up to have that idea of medicine and sort of what's expected of us yeah definitely I really relate to that that definitely like feels very similar to kind of how I felt throughout medical school um that kind of pressure to keep everything up and be on the ball with everything at all times um and Abby from your work like do you find that that's something that doctors also struggle with throughout their kind of careers too yeah I think absolutely and as you've already said it it kind of 
starts at medical school doesn't it you know you have to have all these things on your application to say how great you are and then you don't even have time to to do any of them while you're studying and I definitely see kind of with working doctors and trainees you know this this pressure to complete all their, their exams as soon as possible you know their Royal College exams or to get that extra PhD or to get that extra qualification and it seems like you never get to step off this treadmill of constantly being the best but yet if we reflect on that does that really mean the best care for your patients if that's ultimately what we think a good doctor is and I guess we'll talk a bit more about maybe what is a good doctor yeah definitely agree I think even though we yeah like like we said it starts at a levels where you have to prove that you're exceptional you prove that you're doing loads of different stuff alongside studying but it just continues so even for higher training applications after f1 and f2 you need to have extra qualifications or perhaps start a charity or do something which really stands out in order for people to, you know, mark you 10 out of 10 on your portfolio. Um, and I don't think it necessarily correlates to being a better doctor. It's just the mindset that we all have. I have to find something that makes me stand out. It just never ends, really. I think at med school, you, when you're applying for F1 and F2, part of you thinks, okay, it's going to end here, you know. I'm going to get in and that's going to be it. And then you just... I think at the moment, now I'm applying for higher training, I'm just seeing another 10 years of this, just continuing on and on. How do I make myself stand out? But I think medical school, (laughs) the application kind of serves that purpose where you're bringing in people who have that mindset and at a younger age have already adapted that I need to stand out and then you just take that through. So I feel like everyone who's studying medicine is already slightly competitive anyway. Well, I was just wondering about this issue of being a good doctor and being and being the best mm-hmm. and whether there's somewhere in between we can get to whether, you know, you don't have to be the person who came out top of your exams to still be a good doctor, per se. And as you say, it's obviously really important. And as a patient, I obviously think it's really important that my doctor knows their stuff and they know what they're talking about. But I don't know that I need them to have come out top in all of their exams to feel confident in the way that they treat me because I think there are other aspects of being a doctor that that count too and I think from my experience talking to people kind of about the well-being of doctors and kind of how they balance their work and their life sometimes this pressure can get a bit too much to feel like they constantly have to be the best and maybe that does start slightly in medical school I think sometimes you're told you know you are the best which is great in confidence boosting but also could be a negative in the fact that if you're told you're the best you probably feel like you have to continue to be the best all the time that can wear some people down I think yeah I think I have definitely felt like worn down by that over the last five years in medical school somebody mentioned a treadmill earlier I can't I think that might have been you Abby and it does feel like that where it's just like kind of one thing after another and a like hurdles to jump and it can be quite like exhausting um I think finding the middle 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 ground is tough because for example for training application purposes we're all ranked with each other so immediately you want to be the best so you can get the job you want so it's tough to not try and be the best because I think also it's kind of an element of 
well-being as well you know you want to be the best so you can get this job and stay here and that will make your life easy or more financially viable um yeah I think um I have quite a different point of view in this situation just because um, my medical school we don't get ranked um so we have no ranking so there's a lot it doesn't feel competitive um of course we have to pass our exams and it feels more like an individual effort to pass your own exams and you know stay on top of your work and you're almost you never really worry about what other people are doing or what other people are sort of um you know achieving because you're just sort of thinking about okay I need to pass this and then I need to do this next week and I need to do this next week um I think when I did sort of start med school I had to change this mindset of so obviously like with a lot of medical students we are um when we even before we get to medical school we're quite high achieving um people so we're quite you know used to getting things like getting like 90 percent and stuff and when you do get to medical school and I always laugh about this with my brother because he's a medical student as well and I'm like medical school is so humbling because I, I used to be so used <laughs> to getting 100 percent and now I'm like praying for a 65 um which I just find hilarious um but it is a very humbling experience um and I had to sort of change my mindset from being like, this is a reflection of my intelligence to this is a reflection of how much time I've I've just put into studying. Um, because I do know like, OK, if I I used to like write a list um, and just sort of track how much time I spent studying, because then in my head, I'm like, OK, I spent 20 hours studying for this test and I got this. So I know next time I need to spend at least this amount of time. And if I, you know, if I don't, well, it's not because I don't know. It's not because I'm not smart. It's because I haven't worked enough on my time management. Um, so it's just sort of if I put if I have this input, I'm going to get this output for sure. Um, and it's not really because of me, per se. Um, I think that's just my overall sort of attitude towards medical school at the moment, just because we have a, an absence of ranking. Um, and then as well as that, it just sort of there's this feeling of camaraderie um, within our year group because everyone is sort of on the same boat. Yeah, I think that is such a good like outlook on it all, Judy. Like, I think that that is really helpful like to make it about something other than like your inherent like self-worth or intelligence or like yeah make it a bit more of a reflection of the system rather than yourself um and you mentioned that your med school doesn't do ranking and I think like it sounds like lots of places are kind of thinking about moving towards a system that doesn't rely on ranking so much so uh in the U.S the USMLE, the big like licensing exam has just been changed to a pass fail system rather than just like rather than giving you a numeric score and they're also talking about moving towards allocating jobs for foundation doctors in the UK not based on um, like deciles and ranking as well and Anisha I imagine that you went through that kind of system like you and your friends went through the system of kind of ranking and how did that feel did that kind of bring in all these feelings of like pressure and all that yeah definitely I think you know if you don't perform as well on an exam you you a feel a bit unintelligent and dumb and immediately I think you do feel a bit less of a good medical student or good doctor I think part of being a good doctor obviously is knowing your clinical stuff and keeping up to date with papers and understanding academia 
and research for you know the better treatment of patients and clinical governance but at the end of the day it's a people job so things like reading or writing or painting or even watching the latest tv series I think add a lot of value to being a good doctor because you're dealing with patients at their most vulnerable moments and families and I think it's nice to have a doctor who's relatable and perhaps well-read or has hobbies that they can chat about and make the experience of being unwell a bit more bearable. So I don't think those are aspects that we focus on enough or encourage people to pursue to be a good doctor. You know, we're not taught. You know, I, think, I guess you don't need teaching on how to be a good person, but... They're things that aren't <laughs> emphasised enough that do make a massive impact on patient care, I found anyway. One thing when I was thinking about preparing for this podcast is I I thought about, um, we have a, an article type in the career section of the BMJ that, that we call a role model because essentially we ask doctors to nominate another doctor that they consider to be a role model throughout their career and they send us a sort of blurb on why why they've nominated that person. And I can honestly say I've never had someone nominate another doctor as a role model for the reasons that they've scored extremely highly in exams <laughs> yeah. or published so many papers <laughs> or you know done so many PhDs you know the the reasons are most often things like you know this person is exceptionally good with their mm. patients they're extremely empathetic or they've taken the time out to mm. mentor trainees medical students you know they they're really um, empathetic yeah. with their colleagues and those are the reasons that people will send yeah. in and say this is why I think this this is an exemplary yeah. doctor and probably that's quite hard to remember sometimes when you're especially when you're training and you are being pushed towards being like the best at exams all the time and as a patient Anisha I definitely agree with you like having a doctor who can talk to you on your level about things that you know aren't necessarily medically related is is really reassuring and really important I mean often you probably won't have the time realistically I think some of my most memorable moments of being a doctor are never to do with perhaps the knowledge I know but perhaps when I've connected with a family or I've had a really good discussion with a family and a patient and they're so grateful and happy and those are things that are never assessed I can never bring that up I don't feel like I could bring that up in an interview I don't think that would be the most impactful point to make because you know you look through all the training applications and all the points we get that's never there you know so but it's hard to assess that I guess I think you've hit the nail like right on the head there because it's impossible to assess really how good is a person at being empathetic with patients I mean you could assess people's communication skills to a certain extent but a lot of these things are kind of so nebulous whereas how well you've done in an exam. Yeah. It's very cut and dry, isn't it? This person has got 100%, this person's got 80%. So you can see why it happens, and we rank doctors in certain ways based on things that are much easier to assess. But maybe, I mean, this a lot of this, you could argue, is kind of perpetuated by the profession itself. And, you know, you guys are the future of the profession, maybe thinking about these things and thinking about how they could change is how they can change. I would say, though, as, as a patient... I have met doctors who are probably quite senior in their roles and I would have loved them to have been assessed on their communication <laughs> skills prior to them seeing me as a patient because they would have not passed that exam. Oh. And that's the honest truth. And maybe I know we're, we're joking about it and I know it's because it's impossible, but I think these things maybe do need to be thought about. Yeah, that's true. We 
we'll just take a break to hear a message from our sponsor and come back to talking a bit about what might be important to patients right after this advert. Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, Every week, one lucky new joiner wins £200. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Okay, back to the show. Um, And Abby, just to kind of follow on from that, like... From your experiences, what do you now think is a good doctor and has that changed over time? I think I I probably come from this in a, from a slightly different perspective than your average patient. Not to say that I'm special, but just because my job means that I, I talk to a lot of doctors who are in a lot of senior positions all the time. So I obviously don't see them as their patient, but I see them as someone who might be the chair of a royal college or, you know, someone who maybe is what other doctors might view as someone who's like top of the game, like really peak of their career. But having been a patient, I think definitely there is a balance. And I think um, as Nisha's touched on this already, like you obviously as a patient want to think that your doctor is clinically capable and has the knowledge that they need, but you do also want them to be able to kind of interact with you on a personal level and recognise that this is a difficult thing for you. And as a I think as a cancer patient, when I reflect a bit on the time that I was being treated for cancer, one of the things I sometimes struggled with was, for me, like having cancer was this massive deal in my life. But for the some of the doctors who were treating me, it was obviously their nine to five, but I needed a bit more from them to recognise that although it was their nine to five, it, it wasn't for me. So I would that's the kind of thing I think I as now as a patient I appreciate I appreciate more you know just the recognition that although what your day job what is your day job is is your day job it's it's not for your patients yeah and did some doctors did you find that like some people got that more than others yes definitely I think there's I don't yeah it's difficult because obviously at the moment as a patient in hospital you 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 do kind of feel services are slightly stretched and people just have less time because they're so hard worked so often it's not a reflection of I think the care they'd like to give it's the care they have to give. I agree with you it's not clear cut as you know some people are just better at being empathetic or better at communicating I think we all have most of us have a very good ability to communicate because that's how we got into medical school and that's how we passed our OSCEs but again when you're you know on a busy on call or on a busy ward round I think your priority just becomes let me just sort out the medical and you know clinical care and then deal with the rest later and usually when there's no time you forget the communication and empathy part that kind of gets shoved under the rug really so yeah it's not necessarily yeah 
it's difficult. And I guess maybe, you know, being a good doctor is, unfortunately, being able to maintain that calm and balance it, I guess, even within time constraints, which seems like an impossible task. Um, I, I think personally, that's what I want to be, you know, I want to be a, a good doctor. And by my definition, that is, you know, really good clinical care, really good knowledge, knowing how to treat my patient, but also bringing in that empathy, talking to them, talking to their family. I think, personally for me, I think that's the sweet spot, which is not always manageable due to loads of external factors, really. Yeah, it feels hugely unfair that you have to try and do all of that, in the UK at least, in a system that doesn't provide you with the space always and the resources that you need to be able to do it. One of the things I found interesting was Abby put out a call on Twitter um, for people to share what they think makes a good doctor. And so many of the responses had listening at the top of their list. Um, And someone shared that um, they'd done an exercise where they gave doctors and patients kind of questions about what makes a good doctor and kind of put together word clouds after that. And for patients, the top thing was listening. And for doctors, often the top thing was knowledge or things about like competence and knowledge which is obviously kind of goes without saying is super important but yeah I just found it interesting that lots had kind of listening and then there were there were other things as well like being able to work well in a team and you know kind of all the things we we already sort of know about what what makes for a good doctor. I think with um sort of interactions with doctors um as a patient um I would focus a lot more on how the person is making me feel emotionally than whatever medical thing they have going on because I probably just don't know what they're doing. So I'm sort of picking up more so on what they're saying and how they're, you know, looking at me and sort of whether they're being kind um, and whether they're listening or not. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would totally agree with that. I think most patients would just assume that you, as a doctor, know what you're doing and... Yeah. you know kind of know the answer to these medical questions I don't think they're going to be yeah. thinking like oh do they know this answer to the Oski question of really whatever and also I would say like just on the point of kind of interacting with colleagues patients or at least I did you, you do know you do notice like colleague interactions if you're sat in a on a ward or you know you can tell if so someone isn't getting on with someone else and there's kind of a friction between that and that does make you feel slightly uneasy as a patient the other thing I wanted to add on Charlotte's point on listening, one of my experiences that I found very difficult was that at the start of my treatment, I had a four-month-old baby. And that was like a massive part of my life. But it was very difficult to get that across to the healthcare staff looking after me because for them, I was cancer patient A, Abby, a single individual. But when you have a baby that young, you're kind of two mm. people. And it was quite hard work to get people to listen to the fact that I didn't just come as me as a one person package. There were, there were two of us. Um, because I think this people just so used to treating, you know, people as individual patients. And I totally get that, but it was the people who listened to me when I said to them, that's all well and good, but you need to know that there's a baby in X, Y, and Z that improved my care immeasurably, to be honest. Yeah. I think that's like a really like, good thing for us to like bear in mind like when we kind of go through our careers is that you know people aren't just the information that's kind of written down in front of you they're a whole person with 
you know, lives and every, everything that kind of goes with Oh my that. God, if I can put one plea on this podcast to all medical students is please, please, if you've got a breastfeeding patient, ask them and think about how that affects their care. It's, it's yeah, we can do a podcast on this, but honestly, please. Please all take that away. It would make it would change so many people's lives. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Abby. Um, and then, so we'll kind of come back to talking about um, kind of the impact on doctors and medical students of all of these things um, and what sort of things we need to consider going forward right after this advert. I'm Dr. Matt Morgan. Alongside working as an intensive care consultant. I work as part of the BMJ on examination team to support you in passing your medical exams. You can now get access to our personalised revision resource online and our app for years 1 to 3 totally free with code years 123 free as well as a huge 40% discount on our finals product using code finals40. We'll help you to pass by making sure you maximise your time. We'll deliver you the most important questions, keep you on track with daily reminders and give you feedback to show you how you're performing. We are committed to making revision easy, so start your journey to pass first time today by visiting onexamination.com to sign up or by downloading the OnExamination app and using code years one two three three for years one to three three or code finals 40 for 40 percent off our finals product okay back to the show um so we were talking earlier about um abby's tweet uh which uh asked people to share their reflections on what is a good enough doctor or what makes for a good doctor and one of the interesting responses I thought was um, one who can survive. And that's how it starts. And it goes on to talking about um, how saying no to things that are not your responsibility or your job or your job. And, you know, the people who realise that it's just a job and that there are other things to concern yourself with as well um, are all important. But I think that that introduction to that tweet of one who can survive is really interesting. And Abby, I wondered from your work um, on the sort of wellbeing podcast and uh, through working on the career section is something, you know, whether this kind of aligns with those those things. Yes, I, I think absolutely it does. I mean, I'm not sure how de- necessarily put it <laughs> as bluntly as that. Um, but to use a really awful cliche, you know, you, you need to put your own mox- oxygen mask on first. You know, to be a good doctor you you do need to look after yourself too because you're not going to be any good to your patients if you're not looking after yourself and I know that probably like to someone like Anisha who's probably working their socks off sounds really trite because you know it's probably hard enough to cook a decent meal in the evening let alone like think about what <laughs> looking after yourself means but I, I generally do think you know you 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 can't help your patients if you if you aren't well yourself I mean I often talk to I have um, medical family and friends and I know that they sometimes might not take a day off sick when I would say maybe they should uh, because, you know, they don't want to let the team down and they don't want to let the patients down and it's and there's this pressure to be present. And I say to them, well, you know, what would you say to 
me or a patient if they were as unwell as you are now do you think they should be going to work and often it's like well no of course not but but I have to and sometimes you need to be maybe encouraged as medics to kind of take a step back and go no actually maybe if I you know I know this is a a silly example but you know maybe a sick day today is is four days of working more, more at full capacity afterwards and kind of things like that appreciating that sometimes you do need to to take the time for yourself to then be able to be more present and better at work and I think the kind of the pressure to succeed in exams sometimes translates into like kind of the pressure to 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 be present and maybe this belief that you're indispensable whereas maybe not you know no one's really indispensable and sometimes you, you do need to put yourself first yeah and like lots of the responses actually mentioned something similar like one said that a thorough grounding in self-care was what they think makes for a good doctor which I think is like a really nice way of putting it um others talked about how a good doctor is one that's supported and mentored so like yeah there's lots of aspects to kind of being able to be this good doctor that we're kind of referring to I'd kind of like to add on this point though because it's something that did come up often when we talked about these issues on our well-being podcast is that I'd quite I'd like to be quite careful that we don't kind of put this Mm -hmm. all on on individuals because a lot of this is things that you can't fix on your own like systemic pressures that are making you feel burnt out you can't fix that and 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 we occasionally got criticisms because people say you know I can do as much yoga as I like but it's not going to stop me having too many patients Mm -hmm. on my list this morning it helps you feel maybe less irritated up the system maybe yeah absolutely but I, I I think fundamentally my takeaway from a lot of the work we did in well-being is that this is this is a problem with the system that needs to be solved and sometimes you know some of it I just thought this is a this is an issue with the you know we're having a system that doesn't even show any appreciation for its staff you know and maybe this feeds back into what we were saying about patient feedback like I sometimes think a bit of appreciation from your employer or from your patients might go quite a long way to make, making you feel like a a good doctor you know in our work we all need to be told you're doing a good job I don't know if you guys get that enough maybe you don't or maybe the results of exams are the only way that you can yeah, feel like you I know you're doing well or on not reflection now probably probably hit hit the nail on the head there for me it's you know if I'm revising for something if I scored 100% that's I'm a great doctor this is great but you don't get that feedback from patients actually so you you don't know whether what you're doing is working and it made an impact on someone I think quite recently in my last rotation I spoke to this family and dealt with this patient for the whole day and they sent in a letter to the whole team about how much they were so grateful for the care and the communication and everything they'd had. I That just made my day because I'd spent so much time with them. I felt like a good doctor that day. But ab- apart from that, I'm just basing it on my portfolio and my exam results, and that's it. And that's how I rate myself as a doctor. Whereas that was such a massive aspect aspect of it. You, yeah, I think it would be nice to get more patient feedback, actually. Um. In terms of like the tweet and talking about a good doctor is a doctor that survives, um, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think resilience is such a big part of medicine in general. And even as like a medical student and 
we go through like a lot of you know situations where we might not feel the best or we might have failed an exam or not have done as well as we wanted to um and there is a difference in sort of how you handle it and how the difference in how you handle it helps so much in how you're able to sort of recover from it so things like um sort of giving yourself space and um, giving yourself grace um, and not putting too much pressure on yourself, which is why sometimes in terms of like thinking of competitiveness, um, although it's a good thing to sort of push yourself, it's also really good to sort of be aware of limits and be aware of sort of, you know, the outward pressures that might not be overly necessary. Um, so I definitely do think surviving and having a, like the resilience to sort of continue and go on is something that does make a really good doctor. It's really interesting, Judy, to hear you use that word because it came up a lot when we did our well-being work and there was occasionally this idea that some, I don't know if it was trusts or elsewhere, were sort of giving doctors resilience mm-hmm. training, you know, train people to be more resilient. Um, and I think a lot of people felt like you shouldn't have to be trained to cope with something that isn't something you should have to cope with. Mm. Does that make sense? I think in your the example you're giving, like the perfect, it makes absolute sense. Like you do need to to be able to deal with like I don't know, not doing getting hundred percent in your exam, but maybe for for like I think it's probably a UK thing, but in for working doctors, you sh- the answer shouldn't be you need to be more resilient. You know, if you can't deal with this, you, that's just a failing of you. I think that's what I was trying to get at with this kind of we mustn't always push it back yeah. on it, on the individual. Yeah, and I think, like, if we're kind of talking about, like, systemic changes and, like, ways of making this system better, um, like, maybe this kind of move towards removing ranking is a good step because actually we don't need to be competing against each other and we don't need to have some long list that exists somewhere of who is on paper the best doctor in the country and who on paper is like the worst like yeah I mean I personally think getting rid of ranking is probably a good thing but do you think there might be some people who would hate it to be removed because they do place kind of their goodness for want of a better word on being able to say I was I don't even know how the deciles work but like I was in the top Um, yeah yeah actually really interestingly on this um at the webinar for the like ukfpo changes so like a a big discussion on what might be changing and when um there was like a QA forum and lots of people put in there well what will be the incentive to do well if we remove ranking where does that leave us because surely the incentive to do well is to you know take all that knowledge and take that into kind of yeah your care of patients that should be enough i think (laughs) yeah whereas that question implies that the incentive is to be able to say i'm the best right i did wonder that charlotte when you earlier mentioned the the thing in the u.s where Mm -hmm. they've gone from a the usmle uh they've gone to a pass fail system and yeah you could see some people going well i could just scrape a pass but i guess there's kind of back on you then it's like what will make you feel good about yourself (laughs) I'm assuming most of the people on the webinar were medical students because Mm -hmm. 
I don't know whether this is nice to say or not, but I think when you're a medical student, you don't have the responsibility for care. So at the end of the day, knowing things is just to pass your exam. So I think that's where the attitude comes from. Once you start working, I remember you just have this, you have this overwhelming responsibility to know your stuff because it directly impacts the the care of the patient in front of you. So the idea of knowing things for an exam just goes out of the window. So I can't even imagine having that mindset of what, why do I have to aim higher? Because, you know, me having this particular knowledge will change someone's care. That's what I say to myself now. So it's probably what we should be encouraging anyway from medical school. Yeah. And with ranking and things as well, when we were planning this episode, we were talking about how when you're doing your GCSEs, you think they're the most important thing in the whole world. And then you get to your A-levels and nobody ever asks you what you got in your GCSEs anymore. And then when you get to university, nobody thinks about your a Like, it's all just kind of to get on to the next thing. So when you're a doctor, it becomes something, like you were saying, Anisha, something so much more important, which is how that knowledge affects your patients, not what that knowledge, like what percentage you got on paper. I'm going to sound really <laughs> old and really patronising now. But I think the younger you are, the more there is a tendency to compare yourself with other people and look at them and feel like they're getting it right and you're getting it wrong. Um, I mean, that was true when I was younger and kind of social media and things didn't exist in the same way that they do now, which give you like an even broader scope of people to compare yourself with. And obviously people who are only presenting to you the most best parts of their lives. Um, But I think the older you get, you do kind of compare yourself less and it's just a shame I suppose that we encourage all university students especially medical students to kind of compare against each other and it's always playing into this bias that you already have as a young person to believe that you need to compare yourself with others um and as a as Anisha says like the more you get into your career and the more you realize what's really important that kind of comparison fades out yeah I think that is like definitely a really like good way of looking at it and um if we kind of like finish this episode where we started we've got a clip from Helen the GP who wrote the article about what it means to be a good enough doctor kind of reflecting on some of these things about um comparison and yeah just summing up some of the things we've already talked about really even if there's no formal competition at medical school I think it's natural that we all look around us and compare ourselves with other people and um, as medics we quite often judge ourselves harshly compared to the others we see. Uh, As a student there's always going to be a few in your year who've, I don't know, set up a charity in a developing country on their year off and they seem to be floating effortlessly through their exams um, while also playing virtuoso violin and doing triathlons while you're just running to keep still or at least to get through your exams Uh, but that's okay we don't all have to be fantastically good at everything we just need to be a good enough doctor and and some of that looking around and comparing yourself even when you've been practicing a long time that doesn't go away Uh, I'm sure there are (laughs) many of my colleagues who actually work faster than I do and are probably a bit more efficient but I can forgive myself now I'm kind of comfortable with where I am and perhaps also you know there's some things I do well and one of the things with medical training is that 
not everything that is important in being a good doctor is examined in our system, however much we may try. Um, but you might not be the one with the slickest examination technique. Uh, and you might not get stellar grades, but you may have other skills. And as long as you're good enough, I mean, there is a minimum level to be competent, but as long as you're good enough, it's worth thinking about what else you bring. Are you actually the person who has a really good relationship with the porters and the HCAs on the ward? Are you the one who manages to reassure the patients after the ward round and is particularly good at soothing those distressed relatives? There are all sorts of skills that you can bring and a huge variety of people that will make not just good enough doctors, but excellent doctors. So I think that's a, a really nice note for us to end on, really, with Helen's reflections. Um, so that's all we have time for today. Um, thank you so much to our panellists for joining us and to everyone at home for listening to this episode of Sharp Scratch. If you like our show, I'd love it if you could support us by leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts or by sharing it with the people you know. Tell your friends about it. That helps people find the show. Next time, we're going to be talking all about what it's like to be the first person in your family to study medicine. So get in touch if you want to ask any questions or leave any comments beforehand. You can find us on BMJ Student at, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to hear other episodes, subscribe to Shop Scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks' time you'll be notified of our next episode. Until then, goodbye from us. <laughs> <laughs>